Why don't we stand this morning as we go to the Lord in prayer? So, Father, we just want to thank you that you are the one who hears our cry, and you are a prayer-answering God. We thank you for that this morning. And, Lord, we just bring the needs that are represented not only from those that are present here, those that are within our hearts, those that are listening live stream. Father, we just bring every need because your word declares to us that you care. We can cast all our cares on you for you care for us. And Lord, I pray that you'd open our heart, open the eyes of our understanding. Lord, we recognize that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And as we hear your words, Lord, may we sense that you are speaking into our very being, that you are calling us out of darkness into your light. You're calling us to yourself. You're awakening something within our hearts, oh God. You who fashioned the universe, you who fashioned our very lives, placed us in this time, Lord, you have something special in mind. So Father, help us to have ears to hear, a sense of perception and understanding. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for making that real in our lives making Christ known to us, bringing the grace of salvation into our hearts, giving us this life that you promised, eternal in nature, and we thank you for that in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. Amen, amen. you may be seated. I'm gonna have you turn in your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, and I, I don't have all the PowerPoint slides on this, so you may wanna have a Bible because we're going to look through that entire chapter, and there's a Bible there in front of you. So the first book in the New Testament, the last chapter of that book is chapter 28. You ever thought about what's stopping us? What's stopping me? What's stopping you from experiencing a transformed life? And I want to look at that today. You know, what difference does one day make? And the question is, it depends on which day. How many know the day you got married, it made a big difference? And the day that Jesus rose from the grave made a historical difference. It changed the whole trajectory of humankind. It changed human history. It actually created something in our lives that are absolutely significant. You and I now can have a hope that goes beyond this life. Because up until that moment, death had its final say. We couldn't overcome death. But the day that Jesus rose from the dead was the day that death was defeated and since that day, you and I can walk with eternal life. Eternal life doesn't begin when we die physically. Eternal life begins when we receive Christ. And that life comes within us. And that life will never be taken from us. And you and I will live for all of eternity. So a day can make a huge difference. Today could be a defining day. I pray it is in your life. I pray that it would change even the trajectory of your life. Because when we hear the voice of God speaking into our lives, it can change amazing things in our lives. You know, the key to experiencing the power of the resurrection of Jesus, it has to be applied. One of my great concerns in the North American church today is there's a lot of information, but we're really short on application. We're not doers. We're just listeners and information gatherers. We have all this insight, but we're not doing anything with it. And so Jesus kind of talks about that, and he's quoting Isaiah. He says, yeah, but you're seeing, but you're not really understanding. You're not perceiving. You don't really get it until you finally put it into practice in your life. I think it's fascinating that uh, a former governor of Alabama by the name of Lou Wallach, he 
wrote this, and this was a long time ago, over a century ago. He said, after six years given to the impartial investigation of Christianity as to its truth or falsivity, I have come to the deliberate conclusion that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the, not only the Savior of the Jews, he's the Savior of the world and has now become my personal Savior. That's a very powerful statement. Now, many of you probably don't know who Lou Wallach is, but in a minute you'll find out who he is, and I think you'll know. He was actually an agnostic. One of his closest friends was an, a fellow by the name of Robert Ingersoll. He was also a well-known agnostic of his day. And he said, Wallace... You're a learned man and a thinker. Why don't you gather material, write a book, and try to disprove the fact that Christianity is even a viability because Jesus Christ never lived? And so he took on that challenge. It made a deep impression on his mind, and, and so he went home, back to his home in Indianapolis, and he told his wife what he intended to do was write a book to disprove Christianity. She just happened to be a member of the local Methodist church. She didn't like the idea. But he decided to do it anyways. And so he began studying not only you know, many of the libraries in, in the States, but he also traveled to Europe and was doing all this studying. And then after spending several years in this and having written four chapters of the book, it became absolutely clear to Lou that Jesus was a historical person. He couldn't get around that. There was just no way. He, he began to come to the realization that Jesus was as much a real historical person as Socrates or Plato or Julius Caesar or Mark Anthony or Virgil or Dante. You had to do something with that. And the more he thought about it, the more he investigated, the more he saw the transformation as a result of Jesus' life, he came to the deep conclusion that Jesus was who he said he is. That he is not only a human being that, came, that, that was on the planet, not a, just a moral teacher, but he was actually God in the flesh and he was calling humanity back to himself and that Jesus Christ actually rose from the dead, exactly as the scriptures are taught. Well, while he was in that struggle, he, he, he fell on his knees for the first time in his life and he asked God to reveal himself to him. He asked him to forgive him and to help him to become a follower of Christ. It says, towards morning that late evening, the light broke into my soul. I went into my bedroom. I woke my wife, and I told her I had received Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. She said, Lou, ever since you told me you were going to write that book, I prayed that you would come to know Jesus. Well, Lou Wallach did write a very famous book. Actually, it became a movie. It's been produced not just once, but a couple of times. The movie and the book is entitled Ben-Hur. And Ben-Hur, if you really understand the background of the author, you begin to understand that like the main character in Ben-Hur, who was struggling with, you know, religion and all the rest of it, and, and in the story you have, it's, it's framed in the time of Jesus, and Jesus intersects his life where he gives Jesus, uh, uh, sorry, Jesus gives him a, a, a cold cup of water. It's a very powerful story. But it really it shows you this progression and this journey from being an agnostic, someone who didn't know, someone who didn't believe, to becoming a true follower of Jesus Christ. What is it about Jesus that changes people's lives? How can a man who lived 20 centuries ago still impact people today in this moment? And the only answer to that question is the resurrection. Because you see, Jesus didn't just teach you know, great ethical teachings. 
There's a lot of people that have taught great ethical teachings. There's a lot of religion in our world today, but there's something unique about Jesus because only Jesus said that he was God in the flesh. Only Jesus said that he could take away the sins of the world. Only Jesus said he could conquer death. And the sign that he gave to his generation was that in three days he would rise from the dead. And even his enemies believed that. And so they went to the Roman governor to set the tomb, a seal around it, and to be guarded so that nobody could take his body and that he could, they could somehow disprove what Jesus was saying. But we're gonna find out this morning from the writings of scripture that that's not exactly all that happened. There's something exciting that happened as a result of Jesus not only making that declaration, but actually enacting it out. Jesus today is as alive as he's ever been. He's been alive ever since that day 2,000 years ago. He's affected people's lives for 20, uh, well, two centuries. Apart from the resurrection, uh, it's, it's actually the most single important facet of the story. And apart from the resurrection, Christianity would be like any other religion with a moral leader and a good ethical teaching. But the resurrection is a different story because Jesus conquered death. That's why you and I can have a hope for eternity beyond this life. It doesn't end here. We have the hope of eternal life. So what makes Christianity unique is actually the resurrection message. And so we're gonna look at Matthew's gospel today. Actually, I said this last week, I'll re re repeat it because I think it's important. Four, four stories all telling about Jesus's life. Well, really about his ministry and primarily about his death and resurrection. It's called the gospel. And we have it written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's four of them. And in the story, you have different emphasis in these gospels. Sometimes we read it, we get a little confused. I thought there's one angel, there's two angels. What's going on here? But they're all telling the story from their vantage point with a purpose in mind. It's written about 25 to 30 years after the resurrection. And so we begin to realize in Matthew's story, he's trying to deal with the issue of, you know, that this is all a fabrication. It's all a hoax. It's all a lie. And so it's designed in, in the, the people's thoughts, the people that fabricated this, to dispel this idea of Jesus coming back from the dead. So Matthew is going to address that issue. And I believe Matthew helps people overcome what I consider barriers to faith. And we actually all have them in this room. We don't realize that, but we all have barriers to having our faith deepen and actually acting on what the scriptures are teaching. Because we have, you know, some people have strong faith, some people have weak faith, some people have no faith. How do you get past these barriers? And I wanna look at four of them today that, that we need to overcome. That we're actually, they struggle with these barriers on Easter morning, and I think people are still struggling with them today. So the first one I want to look at is preconceived ideas. You know, we all in this room, we're not a blank slate. You've all been influenced by somebody. You grew up in a family, you were influenced by your parents. You went to a school, you were influenced by your teachers. You went, maybe you come from a different country, you were influenced by the culture in which you're living in. And we're all being influenced today at a high level by our society. Is that not true? And so we, we're zeroed in on what we think. 
And so we develop what we call cognitive bias. Sociologists call it that. Cognitive bias. Cognitive means thinking, mind. What we think. We have a bias. We look at certain things. We have a predisposition. We look at something and we're interpreting it through the lens of our minds. We're looking at this thing and we're interpreting it from our past experiences. That's how we interpret life. And it's a preconceived bias. And then we have something called confirmation bias. You go, what's that? Well, what it is is we, we have a tendency in our lives to refute and push out of our mind anything that's contradictory to what we believe. We just push it out. And we're only accepting the information that confirms what we already believe. So we're, you know, we think we're open-minded, but you know what, we're not that open-minded. But let's challenge this. You know, why don't we open up our minds a little bit and actually look at information and see where it's gonna take us? Because I'm convinced that truth can be known. There is some things that are always true. You know, there are elements that are true. For example, gravity, it's a law, right? Boom, you're gonna fall. If you push something up, it's gonna come down. The only way you can circumvent gravity is have another law that overpowers that gravity. And it's true, there's certain uh, natural laws, there's certain you know, moral laws. We even have moral laws. People think there's no law, there's no absolutes. Let me tell you something, you start violating certain laws, you'll find out what happens. There's a consequence to that behavior. And so we, that's why I think it's important when you have somebody like a Lou Wallach who wasn't a believer, who was literally trying to disprove it, who was honest enough to realize that when there was so much evidence in favor of Jesus being a real person, he had to come to grips with that. And he's not the only person that's had that experience. I think of Josh McDowell, a young lawyer to be, a training to be an attorney, studying to disprove that Jesus rose from the dead. He focused on that because he says, if you can disprove the resurrection, you can disprove Christianity. And he actually, the apostle Paul agrees with that in 1 Corinthians 15, where he says that if Christ is not raised, then our faith is in vain. So he focused in on the resurrection. But Josh McDowell came to the same conclusion. Everything about the story pointed to the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Then you had a, a, a very skeptical journalist named of Lee Strobel, worked for the Chicago Tribune, did everything he could to disprove that Jesus rose from the dead. But at the end of the day, as an investigative journalist, he came to the same conclusion. Jesus actually rose from the dead and he too surrendered his life to Christ and it totally transformed him. So in our text today, we're gonna to see these women coming to a tomb in order to finish preparing Jesus's body because it was hastily done. Jesus is crucified on Friday. So when the Jewish people talk about three days, they include the days that it happened, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, three days. Jesus is crucified on Friday, he's dead. They take him down from the cross, hastily wrap him with some linen cloths and they put him in a tomb because the next day is Saturday. For a Jewish person, that's the Sabbath. And it was a high Sabbath because they were preparing for the Passover. It was the Paschal Sabbath. And so they wanted to get the bodies off the cross. That's why they appealed to the governor of Rome to actually hasten their death. And so that's why they broke their legs, the two thieves that were crucified with Jesus, so they would die fast, and they did. But when they came to Jesus, because he had been scourged and tortured, he was already dead. And so they poked a spear inside, and the Bible says blood and water you know, came from 
his, that wounding and they recognized, yes, he is dead. These people were experts at crucifixion. They crucified thousands of people. They knew a dead body. They took him down from the cross. Uh, Joseph Arimathea from the ruling council of the Jews who was not consenting to his death came and begged for the body of Jesus. He put him in his tomb. The women knew where that tomb was and so in their minds they said the very day after the Sabbath they would go and finish the preparation of his dead body. Let's pick up the story in Matthew chapter 28. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week which is which day? It's a Sunday. It's after the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a Saturday. Pastor, why do we worship on Sunday? Because it's resurrection. The church, this is amazing to me. This is another argument for the resurrection. Think about it. These are Jewish people. They'd been under the law. They'd always worshiped on a Saturday. But now, something happened the day after the Sabbath, on the first day of the week. It says here they went to that tomb. There was a violent earthquake. Matthew focuses in on some supernatural events that happened at that moment. There was an earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Now these guys are hardened professional soldiers and in Roman law, you could not fall asleep on guard duty. If you did, you would be put to death. They were wide awake. They saw this angel. It terrified them. How many know the supernatural will probably terrify you? You know, it'll shake you up. It's otherworldly. It throws you for a loop. They were fearful. It says then, uh, the guards were so afraid, they shook like dead men. Verse 5, the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. Even the believers were afraid. It says, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen, just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. We're getting a sense of the chronology of events here. Jesus shows up and he, he says, greetings, he says to them. They came to him, clasped his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, uh, interesting, he didn't tell them not to worship him. That's another argument for the deity of Jesus. He's not, you know, angels don't want to be worshiped. Godly angels, the, the right kind of angels. Actually in John's uh, revelation, he says, the angel says, don't worship me. Only worship God. So Jesus allows them to worship him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers, go to Galilee. There they will see me. They were even afraid of Jesus because you know what? This is outside of the realm of what we would call normal. This is, you know, supernatural. This is abnormal. What's happening here? Now, just to give you an idea of how meaningful the situation was, I want you to go back to the women. They're on the way to the tomb. What are they thinking about? Well, first thing they're, they're, uh, they're focusing in on, it says in verse two here, very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance to the tomb? So what are they locked into? 
Well, they're like my wife, practical Patty. <laughs> Who's going to move the stones? Pretty heavy stuff, you know? They, they saw how big it was. Uh, as a matter of fact, they knew, they, I, don't, they, I don't know if they knew there was a guard there or not, but they knew the stone needed to move, and they knew they weren't strong enough for it, and they were just thinking about it. They were locked into this. Who's going to move the stone? Do you know, in our lives, we tend to focus on the challenges. Isn't that true? And obviously, there was a challenge. This was real. And they had, in their grief and in their, you know, disappointment. Because, you know, everyone thought that Jesus was the Messiah, and they really thought that he would, you know, the Jewish messianic hope was that he would conquer the Romans, and they would set up a new Jewish kingdom on earth. And all of a sudden, he's dead. And, you know, they had forgotten a very important thing Jesus had been telling not only these ladies, but also their disciples, because they were part of the disciples. Jesus kept telling them, I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise on the third day. Don't you find it fascinating that the people who actually believed that Jesus, what he was saying there, were actually his enemies? Because they actually went to, to Pilate, the governor, and had them get guards to seal the tomb because they didn't want to have Jesus come out of that tomb at, you know, before three days were up. So they wanted to make sure that was well guarded. These guys were so locked into what they had seen on the cross, they couldn't get past it. They were like, they had forgotten the, that Jesus said he would rise again. Everybody noticed that. So they're focused on you know, helping him be prepared for burial. I think we could chide them, but we shouldn't, because I think we're often in a similar situation. We get overwhelmed with our own problems and pressures in this life, and then we fail to connect on what God's word says to us. How many say that's probably true? Nobody else wants to admit that, you know, there's moments when you feel discouraged, you have a little doubt, a little despair in your soul. Anybody have that? You know? And here's what I'm going to say to us. What we need to do is get back to the scriptures and find out what does God have to say. And here's what I'm going to say to us, to encourage us. The problems will come, the problems will go. God's word is eternal. So if we're hanging on to God's promises, that's eternal in nature. That's powerful stuff. You and I, can, it can sustain us when the problems are going to come and go. See, this is eternal. The Bible says heaven and earth will pass away, but my word abides forever. So we need to hang on to that. I think a lot of times we deal with unnecessary sorrow and discouragement because we forget what God says to us. And I think we've all had moments. You ever have, I think that's part of the spiritual warfare that we have to experience in our minds. Anybody here ever battle with a little doubt? little discouragement? Of course, that's normal. That's natural. So what do we do with those things? We have to come back to the word of God because God's word creates faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. You know, you cannot read the scriptures. And I, and I said it last week, Thomas Watson, that wonderful Puritan said, when you read the Bible, read it as if God's talking to you because he is. And when you hang, when you start reading it that way, it changes the way you think. Because God is trying to talk to you and say, hey, hang on to that. God uses the seemingly impossible situations in our lives not to quench faith, but to strengthen it. But we don't look at it that way. God knew the stone needed to be rolled away. Before those ladies ever showed up, God already had a provision. He was sending an angel down there to roll it away. Now, why did God roll the stone away? Well, it was real simple. It wasn't to let the ladies in to help them prepare Jesus' body. He rolled the stone away to let them come in and see there was nobody there. 
You know, Jesus was now alive. He was risen bodily from the grave. So, as I say here, not for the sake of being able to prepare his body, but to reveal to his followers that he was alive. You know, God has a greater purpose in many of our challenges. Too often we allow temporary pressures and challenges to impair our vision of a loving, caring God who's well able to provide for our greater good. You know, I've said this so many times, but I'll say it again, it's bearing repeating. Really simply, you have to settle two ideas in your mind. Number one, God is good all the time. Number two, God is loving. So even though you may be going through a difficult experience, you need to say to yourself, okay, if God is good and God is loving, which he is, and then you have to go to Romans chapter eight, verse 28, and say to yourself, for I know that all things work together for good. So whatever's happening, I don't get it. But I'm not gonna worry about it. I know that God ultimately is gonna use the challenging experiences of my life for good. I like what Bob Record says. He says, we all, we're all faced with innumerable opportunities brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. Is that how you see it? So whatever problem that you're faced with today, you need to see this as an opportunity for God to work in you and through your life. We all have Red Sea experiences. We all feel we're gonna you know, be destroyed. We all have those moments in our life where we go, I don't see how this is gonna work out. And yet, you know, the Bible says, be still and know that I'm God. You know, relax, trust God. But let me move on to the second barrier. It's our preoccupation with our present problem. <clears throat> now I know it, it seems like it's the same thing, but it's a little different. Because one of them, we have this preconceived idea but now we're moving towards the problems in our lives. Now, what was the real challenge for these ladies? Well, once they got to the tomb, the stone was rolled away. They went, great. But how many know in life that if you don't solve one problem, there's always the next problem? How many have ever experienced that? You ever had that idea that, you know, if we could just get past these problems, and they just, they just never go away. It's just a new set shows up. So the stone's rolled away, but now there's no body. <clears throat> Let's look, look at what John uh, John was going to tell us something. They, they became preoccupied with the fact that the bottom body of Jesus was missing. Uh, well, let me move on to the text. <clears throat> John chapter 20, verse 2. This is Mary Magdalene. So she comes running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, which is probably John, because it's the one Jesus loved. And he says, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. That's as much information as she has at that moment. So she's going, hey, Jesus is not in the tomb. This really gets Peter and John moving really quickly. They run to the tomb. Peter goes in, and he's really thinking about what he's seeing. He's going, wow, what's going on here? John sees that there's grave clothes there. And for John, this is a moment of faith. He tells us that. He believed. He started now realizing that what Jesus had said, he would rise from the dead, how many know grave robbers just take the body and the grave clothes in one piece? They don't usually fold it up really nicely <clears throat> and strip the person. No, no. He realized Jesus is alive. Now Mary, the Bible says, we'll continue, I'm dropping, I just kind of filled in the little passages here that we're gonna skip, Peter and John's experience. Now Mary now is standing outside the tomb and she's crying. 
And she bends over to look into the tomb and two angels in white are seated where Jesus' body had been. Interesting. One at the head, the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They said, well, they've taken my Lord away. And I don't know where they've put him. In other words, missing body problem. Where is the body? That's in her mind. That's where she's locked in. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't recognize it was Jesus. I don't know what she means. She's crying. She, she looked around and saw someone. Now, the Bible says it was Jesus, but she looked around and saw someone, but she didn't really focus in because in her mind, what? Jesus is dead, and she's looking for a dead body, and here's a person standing over there. And he says, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he's the gardener, she says, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I'll go get him. <laughs> Isn't that great? We'll make sure we get the body back, right? Uh, gardener, did you move the body? Did everybody see where her mind is located? She's trying to solve this problem. Jesus says to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. In other words, she didn't recognize who he was till he called her by name. Listen, God knows each one of us by name. It's an amazing thing that he can speak into our lives and call us out of darkness into his kingdom of light. Because oftentimes, as I said, we're preoccupied with our present problems. I think uh, we don't understand truly the significance of the empty tomb in our lives. And I'll tell you what I mean. Most of us, we have Jesus in heaven. How many say that's probably where we, we have him in heaven? I mean, yeah, he is in heaven. But he's also where? He's with us. Now how is he with us? Because the Holy Spirit, which is, you know, don't ask me to explain the Trinity today. I mean, I, I do preach a sermon on that, but not right now. A little complicated. But the Holy Spirit is living inside of us. So God is with us. He's in us. You know, very, very important. Because once we understand what this empty tomb means, that Jesus is alive and he's living inside of us, it changes everything about our lives. We're never alone from that point on. We're, he's, we're always, we always have him. And I will say right now, we're gonna always have difficulties in this life. Pastor, that's, that's bad news. I know, but having Christ in our lives gives us the strength and the wisdom and the grace to address whatever's coming our way. So everybody in the world is gonna have issues. Okay, let's, I, I don't understand people. You know, as long as we're on the planet, as long as there's, you know, sin in our world, you're always gonna have problems. Okay, let's just accept that. How are we gonna deal with this stuff? I'm saying Christ in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. The spirit of the living God living inside of us. God's wisdom that can come from above. God's uh, care for us. The ability to pray to God. The ability to have God help us walk through those seasons of life and actually through that experience grow in our understanding as to the nature of God and grow in our ability to trust him more and more. I've been a Christian now almost five decades and I can tell you God is faithful. God is loving and you'll see you through. You know, we're often tied to the physical world at the expense of the spiritual realities. You know, her interpretation, her perception of reality was wrong. She couldn't see Jesus. She was still locked into a dead body. He's a living, risen Savior. It changed the whole 
thing. She, she couldn't see beyond the state of her emotional upheaval. Let's be really honest. How many times our emotions get the best of us? Anybody here have the, your emotions get the best of you? Fear, frustration, hurt. Come on. We, that's what's bothering. You know, we, we, we start melting under the problem. And then, you know, I hear this all the time. You know, the church hurt me. I hear these words. You know what I say to myself? Listen, people hurt you. People will always hurt you. Let's grow up. Okay? You say, well, yeah, but they were a Christian. You think Christians are perfect? There's not one perfect Christian but Jesus. He's the only one. We're all flawed. Now, if God is waiting to use perfect people, he couldn't use any one of us. Every one of us in this room is a flawed person. Here's what we need to learn. Jesus taught us how to pray. Father, forgive them. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We have to develop a loving, forgiving mindset. Here's what I'm gonna tell you about serving. The moment you start serving Jesus, you're gonna get hurt. Okay, just write that down in your notes. I serve Jesus, I will be hurt. I will learn to be a loving, forgiving person. Therefore, God will mend the brokenness in my soul. I will become stronger. I will become more understanding. I will become more effective. That's what's gonna happen. And so all the people that get offended and walk away, that's the, that's the wrong approach. You know, that's giving up. That's not gonna help you. Then you're just gonna become an angry, bitter person. I see, I meet them all the time. Angry, hurt, and bitter. That's not good. Listen, the key to overcoming evil is by doing good. How do you do good? By forgiving, by loving, by overcoming the bad thing. Okay, let me move on. The third barrier to faith is... Uh, the many false premises. Now, what do you mean by that? I think people have a wrong understanding of Christianity. You know, it was Mark Twain that once wrote, a lie can go around the world while truth is still lacing up her boots. Well, what is he saying? He said, you know, people have an ability to embrace lies very quickly. That's all he's telling us there. But listen, I was thinking about this, and then I thought of Proverbs, and I was reading this in my, this New Living Translation, I've been kind of using that as my devotional, and it says, truth stands the test of times, lies are soon exposed. Listen, the truth eventually wins out. You need to know that. And you know what's really nice when you tell the truth? You don't have to worry about what you're telling people. Because if you're telling people lies, you gotta keep remembering what you said, otherwise you're gonna get caught. So just speak the truth. It's really a simpler life. I love it, you know, just tell the truth. That's what we're told to do here. Now, watch what happens. Because you say, why is it, Pastor, that people want to believe a lie? I'll tell you why. Because wickedness suppresses the truth. The book of Romans tells us that. Now, watch what happens in the story. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. Now, I think this is fascinating. First of all, they're Roman soldiers. Why didn't they go back to Pilate? Well, what are they going to tell them? They... You know, the body's gone. They're derelict of duty. They'd probably be executed. So they went to the group of people. They felt they had the best chance of surviving this experience, and that was the religious people, the Jewish people who had asked for a guard in the first place. So they go to them. When the chief priests had met with the elders, and they devised a plan. Now, how in the world are we going to... This is what we were afraid of. That's why we posted a guard. Jesus said he would rise from the dead. And now, all of a sudden, his body's missing. Now what are you going to do with this? So they devised a plan. They gave the soldiers a large sum of money. They bribed them. 
okay? Be quiet. We don't want to hear from you guys. They told him, you're to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were sleeping. Well, I have a problem with this line. How do you know who stole him if you were sleeping? It's not a, it doesn't quite jive for me, you know. Does anybody else have a problem with that? Well, if you're sleeping, how do you know who did it? They should have just said, well, somebody came while we were sleeping. But no, they, they said the disciples. Because think about it, if the religious leaders had stolen the body, wouldn't they have proven it? Oh yeah, here he is. No. Because Peter was preaching about 50 days later saying that Jesus had risen from the dead and thousands of people became believers. But I'm gonna tell you why they became believers. Because not only did Jesus rise from the dead, Matthew tells us in chapter 27, a whole bunch of holy people rose afterwards and showed up appearing to people in the city of Jerusalem. So now you got dead relatives showing up at your house. <laughs> so that, that really kind of you know, got people thinking. How many know if dead relatives start showing up at your house, you're gonna start rethinking the whole story? I think so. He says, if this report gets to the governor, which would be bad for them, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. In other words, we'll take, we'll take care of that problem. Verse 15, so the soldiers took the money. I mean, what choice did they have, right? I mean, it's either die or take money and be spared their lives. So they took the money and they did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this day. In other words, why is it that people want to believe a lie? Because if you believe the truth, it forces you to do something. If you believe that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh and that he's calling you to himself, then you have to be accountable to him. And I believe that many people today want, want to be accountable to no one. That's what's the problem in our society. They want to live their own life and do their own thing. So, I've already run through all of these explanations here. We've already covered that. So I want to move on to the fourth point, though. And you know, for a lot of us, uh, this is the point that I think is going to speak to the majority of us. Because up until this point, we've been basically talking about the reasons why people struggle about trusting in Jesus or coming to know Christ or having faith in him. But this last one deals with us. And it's simply this. Why is it that we struggle so much to share our faith with others? We become silent. Why is that? You know, because I, 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 the thought that came to my mind is, you know, if the devil cannot keep us from believing in the resurrection, the next best thing is to keep us quiet about the message. And I think that's what's happening. And you go, why is it that people don't talk about Jesus? Because we don't want to offend people. We don't want to alienate people. We don't want people to write us off. We don't want to be persecuted. We're afraid. We're insecure. I don't know what to say. We could just go down a whole list of reasons why we don't want to say anything. Isn't that true? Sure it is. Okay, but let's take a look here. In the last little verses of this text. It says, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So number one, we see, we see that they've seen Jesus in the upper room. Now remember, these guys were terrified. They were afraid. After the crucifixion of Jesus, they went up to the upper room and locked the doors. So they were scared. They're just like us. These are ordinary people, just like us. They were afraid. But Jesus shows up, walks through the walls. I mean, that's pretty neat. He's got a new body. You know, he goes right through the walls. Peace. 
You know, be, don't, don't be afraid, he says. Uh, they had dinner with him. They knew Jesus was alive. He meets with them in Galilee. Actually, they have a church service. They have 500 people show up. The Bible says that. 500 people saw him alive at one moment. Isn't that amazing? This is not mass hallucination, folks. This is Jesus meeting with his disciples. It says, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now, that famous phrase should not be taken as implying that some of the 11 ultimately refused to believe, but some, like Thomas, took longer to accept the reality of the resurrections than others. Some people were a little bit more skeptical. Some people had a little harder time embracing the idea. They weren't as quick on it. The verb here does not denote a settled unbelief, but a state of uncertainty and hesitation. A little uncertainty. Okay. Now, I think there are a lot of believers today who live in a state of uncertainty and hesitation. It's not surprising that these guys struggle with the resurrection. I mean, they'd followed Jesus for three and a half years, gave up everything to follow him, believed in him, believed he was the Messiah, saw the miracles, saw, you know, Jesus was talking to the water and the waves and they obeyed him. They saw dead people come back to life. They saw people being healed in front of their eyes. I mean, they were just witnessing these incredible experiences and they believed that Jesus was who he said he was. And the scriptures had promised it. They believed in the word of God. Now all of a sudden he's dead. You can imagine how shattered they were. Okay, that was a shattering experience. But now, I mean, three days later, you go from absolute brokenness to absolute joy. Jesus is alive. So now they're thinking, hey, when are we taking over the world? Like, you know, that's true. Read the book of Acts chapter one. When is the kingdom of God gonna be restored to Israel? In other words, we're gonna be the leading nation of the entire world. When's it gonna happen? Jesus goes, that's not the agenda. Well, what's the agenda, Jesus? No, I want you to go into the world. And I want you to bring the good news about my resurrection to people. I'm calling them to repentance. And yet, you know, we're often silent. We, who have, who have come to Christ, are often silent in our witness. And one of the reasons, I think, is because often we feel like we're failures. We look at our lives and we go, my goodness, you know, who am I to tell another person how to shape up when my life's such a mess? You know, isn't that true? We struggle with that. But here's what I'm going to tell you. There was a woman... She was at a well. Jesus showed up going through Samaria and he has a little conversation with her. All the disciples are getting lunch and he's sitting there and she's shocked. He's Jewish, she's Samaritan. Racial tension between the two groups, they don't talk. She's a woman, he's a man, that's another taboo in their culture. And Jesus says, hey, would you mind giving me a little bit of water? And she goes, uh, you're a Jew, why are you talking to me? He says, hey, I need some water. He was thirsty. He said, well, listen, She's getting him water, and he said, you know, I could give you water that you'd never thirst again. She goes, really? I'm interested in this because I'm tired of coming to the well at the heat of the day because her life was a mess. And Jesus says to her, you know, they have this little conversation. Finally, he's, you know, he says to her, well, why don't you go call your husband? She goes, well, I don't have a husband. He said, well, yeah, you're right. You had five, and the guy you're with is not your husband. That really shook her up. I perceive, sir, that you're a prophet. No, I'm more than a prophet. He tells her, she says at the end, well, we're waiting for the Messiah. Jesus says, I am the Messiah. This is so shocking to me. The only person in the New Testament that Jesus told he was the Messiah to was a Samaritan and a woman at that. Isn't that amazing? She was so moved by this experience. She went into town. Everybody knew her life it was a small village. She goes, come and see a man that told me everything I've ever done. I think he's the Messiah. 
The whole village came out to meet Jesus. He spent three days with them and the whole village became believers. How many think that's an amazing story? Yeah, she opened her mouth. She, she, you know, the lady that everybody thought was the worst sinner, Jesus revealed himself to, and, he's the, and, she, and God used her to bring a village to Christ, to bring a village to Jesus. So we can't use this, I'm a, such a terrible person stuff. Doesn't work with God. No, we need to tell people, look, Christians are not perfect, they're just forgiven, and we're on a journey to become like Jesus. Join the journey with us. Amen? That's what we should be inviting. See, we gotta stop condemning people. That's a huge mistake. Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to condemn it, I came to save it. As Christians, it's not our job to judge people, that's God's job, I leave it with him. My job is to present Jesus to people and leave it at that. Now, it's interesting to me here that we're reading the scriptures. Jesus comes to them and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all people groups, nations as ethnos, all people groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So what hinders us from fulfilling the commission of God? Well, we've talked about those things. My life isn't what it should be. I got fears. I don't know enough. I have insecurities. Uh, I'm too preoccupied with my life. I'm too busy. You know, I get into that trap. I get busy. You know, busyness can keep us from it. Or sometimes we're just afraid. We don't want to alienate people. We don't want people to think we're crazy. We don't want people to write us off. You know, we, we work with these people. They're our neighbors. You know, we don't want to alienate them. But how many realize that the early church shared their faith? They really did. And you know what's the key? Verse 20. Jesus said, I will be with you. You know, one of the New Testament scholars says it's necessary equipment for mission. You and I can't do this apart from Christ being in us. Where is Jesus in us? So why are we so afraid to tell people about Jesus when he's already in us and he wants to reach them? And you don't even know where they're coming from. You have no idea the openness or the, the not openness that they have. You have no idea what's going on. Now think about what happens. So they're up in that upper room. Jesus meets them. They go meet with him in Galilee. And then Jesus hangs with them for 40 days. Then he says, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. In other words, wait till I come inside of you. Let the Holy Spirit will live in you. Wait for that day and then go out and be, become my witnesses. So the power of being able to be a witness is really allowing the Holy Spirit to come into our lives. Well, you say, well, I, I am a Christian. I have the Holy Spirit. Yeah, but I think there's a, a measure of the Holy Spirit. You know, how many know that when we really give ourselves to Christ, we have more of the Holy Spirit? That's the way it works. You know, some people say, I want more of God. I said, that's easy. Give more of you. Just, we have as much of God as we want. We never think of it that way, but it's the truth. I have as much of God in my life as I want. If I give more of my time to him, I'll have more of him. If I spend time with him, if I read scripture, it'll change your life, you know, it, it's so powerful. I wish I could just have, a, I'm running out of time. I got one minute, but let me close with this. I could say so much about that, but I'll stop. So what are the barriers in our faith that we struggle with? Number one, we have a lot of preconceived ideas in this room right now. It's all been shaped by past. The only way that you're gonna change your preconceptions is to begin to get into the word of God and begin to think the way, begin to see life through a different lens. 
If you're reading the scriptures, you're going to see it through that lens. You're going to start evaluating life through a different lens. Number two, you know, sometimes we're so preoccupied with our own pain and trouble. Just like the disciples, they had shattered dreams and broken hearts. They were in grief, and yet God overcame all of that. You know, that was probably the reason Mary Magdalene couldn't see Jesus. She was so overcome with her grief. The other one is just misinformation. You know, there's so much misinformation today. We allow that misinformation to create a barrier. Can I tell you something? Some of the smartest people on the planet are Christians. I, I'm telling you the truth. If you pursue the truth, you can only come to one person. That's Jesus. If you really pursue the truth, you'll end up with him. Because that's where it leads. But people today would rather suppress the truth because they don't want to come to that source. And finally, you know, this whole idea of sharing our faith with other people. We, I know we live in a hostile world. I know we live in a world that, you know, some people don't want to hear about Jesus. But here's my take on it. I don't know who those, all those people are. And you know, sometimes people, you know, start out saying, I'm not interested. But I've worked with people. I remember cooking for seven and a half years in a restaurant. And I worked at one cook for you know, not the same restaurant all those seven and a half years, but I worked in one for about three years. And I worked at this one guy. You know, we started out, you know, he wasn't interested. But because we're working side by side, we got, we got in all kinds of discussions. And we got into, and he liked to get into discussions. So we got into all kinds of discussions. You know, there was a day that came that he got into a crisis. And he was so broken, but he knew that I knew God. So you know what he said to me? He started opening up and sharing. Because I had a relationship with him. He said, well, let's pray. He goes, I need it right now. So we went into the walk-in refrigerator. So the two cooks disappeared. And I'm praying for him in the walk-in refrigerator. Because I didn't want to embarrass him, right? So we're both in the walk-in. Waitress is probably going, where'd the cooks go, right? In the walk-in refrigerator praying. So then... He goes home, because he gets off before me, and he's driving down the road. I'd prayed for him. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God just came over him. And he'd grown up as a young child in church, and knew Sunday school songs. He said, all of a sudden, I cried out to Jesus. And he said, the Spirit of God came on me, and he said, all the Sunday school songs started flooding through my mind. Like, I don't even know where they came from. He said, I started singing and I got so emotional. This guy's like 6'4", he's a big dude. He said, I had to pull over on the side of the road. I was weeping like a baby. He had a, such an encounter with God. He drove home, it was about 20 minutes away from where I worked, picked up the phone, phoned me and said, at the restaurant said, I just gave my life to Jesus. I just said, wow, changed his life. Changed his entire life, changed it, transformed their marriage. It was amazing, it was the grace of God. So I said to him, you know, I said, Ken, I said, what was it that turned you around? He said, I remember a verse of scripture you shared a long time ago, but it haunted me. I said, well, which verse was it? There's pleasure in sin for a season. I could never get away from that thought. It was the spirit of God that kept bringing that back to my mind. This will all come to an end. And folks, let's, let's stand as we close the service this morning. You know, I believe that there are things keeping us from what God wants to do in us. 
So what's stopping you? What stops me from having a transformed life? What is it? What barrier that's keeping us there? That's the question we need to ask. And if we're a child of God this morning and we're not sharing our faith, what's the barrier? What's keeping you from doing it? You see, because you know what? I want you to think about this for a minute. Your life and my life is gonna move so quickly through this earthly journey. And you know, there'll be people, they're gonna go, why didn't you tell me? You see, it's one thing to tell people and they choose not to respond. That's their decision. But if you don't give people an opportunity to hear, that's our responsibility. We've let them down. So we need to ask God to forgive us and say, Lord, if there's people that need to hear this message and I'm the person you want to use, help me, Lord, to be that person. Help me to be that person. And I'll tell you, when you have someone like Ken, who I shared with for two and a half years, you know, and he finally became a believer, it was really amazing. I, it, you know, he was so overjoyed. You know, all that resistance for two and a half years, all the, the di discussions and all the excuses, they all faded away. And he began to walk with God. It was so amazing to watch that. It was, it was exciting. Amen. Some of you, you want more excitement in your life? Just start sharing your faith. I guarantee it'll get more exciting. It really will. Okay. And if you're here this morning and you go, wow, I want to know more about Jesus. If you ask him, you just say, you know, Jesus, if you're real, I want to know you. He will take you on a journey and you will get to know him. I can guarantee you that'll happen. So Father, we thank you this morning. I believe you've been speaking into our lives. We've heard your words. We've seen the issues in uh, believers in the first century, but they're the same issues that we're dealing with in the 21st century. And I just pray today that you'll help us to serve you wholeheartedly, that you will help us, Lord, to be your witnesses, that your spirit that's living inside of us is gonna help us share the good news that Jesus is alive and it brings about transformation in lives. We thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you leave.
I clean in that crimson sea I'm not ashamed of what once shackled me How infinite that grace divine I am free, I am free, I'm a child of God Oh, precious is the flow That makes me white as snow Oh, no other fount I know I am washed, I am washed, I am drenched in Easter.